My name's Chad Norris, and I'm the pastor here at Bridgeway Church. This is my wife, Wendy. Wendy, why don't you stand up and wave at everyone right here? My wife has on Georgia Bulldog colors today. My wife was Miss University of Georgia. We are bulldog born, bulldog bred, and when we die, we'll be bulldog dead. I outpunted my coverage. Breakthrough always comes when you're grafted into the vine. Y'all think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I need to be a little peppy or something. Have fun with there. Last week, the first week of the series, we talked about uh, born again, but not born again in the way that most of us have heard it. First week of the series called Five Balloons. We're just attempting to pop five myths of the church in the West, really. And the first myth is when you get born again, it's not a message that you believe so you go to heaven when you die. It's a message that you believe that heaven gets in you the moment you become born again. That's why Paul says 189 times. In the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. 189 times. Jesus came to get heaven into you. And when heaven gets down into me, my identity changes. When my identity changes, I go from being cast away, like Tom Hanks in that movie, to deep friendship with the Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. So born again message, yes, but not a message where you believe that Jesus died and you go to heaven when you die. Although that's true, there's a greater truth. You get born again so your identity can change. You can have peace with God. And now the Father can look at you and see you as clean as Jesus. You are holy. You are blameless. You are above reproach. When you believe that and you exercise faith for that, you're able to enjoy God. What if God made you to enjoy him? (laughs) Nobody's listening. Come on. Why'd God make you? Well, so I can tithe and not cuss. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Perhaps Jesus died for more than your current experience. Perhaps Jesus died to get you to Papa. And the church in the East knows this message more than really the church in the West. Right now in China, the underground church is exploding, has been for years. Because it's a message on intimacy. So this first balloon we popped... time I do that, it still scares me. And today we turn our attention to a conversation on delivery versus development. Sounds like a talk you would give as a CEO at a company, but truly Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was more about development than delivery. We'll talk about what that means. All right. Well, a few years ago, I pulled up into my driveway. We were at a rental house. We were in transition from Simpsonville. And there's only two things on this earth that I'm afraid of, okay? Snakes and Nick Saban, all right, in that order. As a Georgia fan, we really fear Alabama, but the first thing I'm most scared about is honestly snakes. I don't like them. And I don't understand people who like snakes. How many of you have a pet snake in here? In here? About to cast the devil out. Who is it? Does anybody have that one friend that no matter what the snake is, you'll get out of your car and it's like, oh, that's a such and such snake. Oh, that won't bite you. Those are the snakes that eat rats around your house. No, no, no. If you got rats, you get a rat trap or a mouse trap. If Satan would have entered the garden as a llama, I would hate llamas. 
I don't think it's natural nor normal for a human being to like snakes. Anyone else in here hates snakes? See, that's what I'm saying. I pull in to the driveway and I see it. This thing looks like an anaconda in my flower bed. It is just piled up. And I start doing this. I don't like snakes. I'm terrified. I didn't say I don't like Jaws. I said I don't like snakes. I'm a firm believer that in a man's heart, all he wants to do for his bride and his family is to leave the cave every once in a while, kill a bear, bare hands, drag it back, throw it on the driveway and say, I'm a man. There comes a time where God gives you sovereign opportunities to get out of that boat. I have phobias of snakes. Now there's one in my flower bed and it's huge. I had bought my son a pellet gun Christmas a few months earlier. I go upstairs, chest bowed out. Sam? Yes, sir? We got trouble in the home front. I'd read wild at heart. I know how it goes. <laughs> I don't chew tobacco, but in that moment, it's like, you know what? Just put some chewing tobacco in, turn your hat around backwards, put on a sleeveless shirt, and blow this snake away. So I grab this, the gun, the vicious pellet gun that couldn't knock a ping pong ball off this table. I cocked that thing, Sam, follow me. He's seven years old and he goes, what's wrong? I said, son, we got a situation outside. We got an anaconda in the flower bed. Is it as hot as a crock pot right here? It's, I'm not gonna make it. The nine o'clock service is from the Lord. This thing, I don't know what this is. Those lights walk outside. Ruthie was on the steps. She said, why does daddy have a gun? There's three kids outside, four kids outside when I get outside. I got a gun. They know I'm a pastor. They're just thinking I'm having a rough day. <laughs> Waving the gun around. And you, there's a way that you talk to prove you're a man. You know, John Wayne's not talking like this and walking around like this. John Wayne, he sticks that chest out. Sam, take notes. You're my number one disciple. We got a perpetrator in the flower bed. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm about to shoot this thing 65 times to get it to even. And it wasn't a small state. This thing was big. Hearts racing, a little panicky. The way that you feel at like one of those salad bar places that doesn't have any protein on it. You just don't like being there. I get closer to the snake and uh, I realize I really am genuinely scared. My heart rate is... Next door neighbor's on the porch. I look at her. I said, man, don't worry about it. I got it covered. <laughs> it's about that time when I get close to the snake and I'm about to shoot this thing. And I wonder why I hadn't been moving. That the little girl behind me, Mr. Norris, that's a fake snake. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I wasn't, this, this isn't like an object lesson for my son. I was about to rip into this thing like Rambo or Braveheart or Revenant or whatever image you want to put in your mind. <laughs> Whoever makes these things, number one, they're demonic, and number two, they look more real than a real snake. And that white fang coming out its mouth. 
for 20 minutes because I believed that thing was real and was a threat to my family. My emotions followed suit. My kids were panicking. My wife rolled her eyes yet again. Kids next door, like, what's going on? It was pandemonium over a lie. I said, who put that snake there? She said, Braden. And I went, where's Braden at? In the kingdom, what you believe becomes your reality. What's the first thing? I'm going to preach. I'm excited. The first thing that Jesus says out of his mouth, the first thing that ever comes out of his mouth in his ministry. From that time on, Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word repents, metanoia, change the way you think. This series called Five Balloons could be a series, honestly, called metanoia. Change the way you think. You believe the snake's real, it'll become real in your reality, although the thing's not even real. What if, on the second balloon, that heaven's recipe for church In heaven's eyes, we are looking at it and experiencing something that's not evil. It's just a fake representation of what was supposed to be the church. I'm not so sure there's any biblical precedent for the way in which we do church in the West. Come hear someone deliver his or her gift, pay some tithes, go home, argue about what you liked about the sermon, what you didn't like, what you liked about the music, what you didn't like, and said, I really enjoy church. I'm sweating like I'm in one of those old Tommy like Pentecostal revivals up here. <laughs> what if the recipe for church, the way it's supposed to be, what if God said, uh, what, what you've been going after is not even real. I want to give you a more authentic version of what's real. Friday, I made gumbo. I love to make gumbo in the fall during football season. I love it. And I've, for me, I've perfected this thing. I've done it about 20 times. But... I'm looking for some lower carb opportunities for obvious reasons. And so I asked BB yesterday, thank you, Graham. I asked BB yesterday, I said, can I make gumbo with almond flour? Cause I just figured, yeah, it's flour. And she said, no. And it, and it makes you question the purpose of an almond anyway, at all. You can't even make flour out of it, especially almonds that aren't salted. Don't, I never, never understood it. And I said, why not? She said, it would be lumpy and it won't taste right. Well, I can make gumbo and make my roux. I love the roux. It takes about an hour. I've gotten good at it. It's thick, brown, tastes delicious. You can put almond flour in there and you can eat the gumbo. It's just not going to taste right. In the Father's perspective on what the church recipe is supposed to be, you use flour, canola oil, onions, green peppers, celery. If you like a kick, put a little jalapeno in there and it's going to taste good. It's going to taste right. You put some scallops in there, you put some shrimp in there, you put some chicken in there, praise God. You put some andouille sausage, and I mean, you're sweating more than I'm sweating right now, and it tastes good. But put almond flour in that same gumbo and watch your friend, when he comes over to eat your gumbo, what he does. He's gonna say, well, this looks like gumbo and smells like gumbo. This tastes like nasty. I almost said wet cat, but I was told I couldn't say that in this service. It's nasty, terrible. Well, the recipe's, well, it's flour. It's not correct flour. I, I'm going to say this, the, the more I get to know the Lord, he has no problem popping balloons of something that I have a misconception on. A misconception is the most dangerous thing in the church in the United States of America. Because if I have a misconception on something, I can be no different than the men that flew the planes into the Twin Towers. They thought they were doing the right thing. 
whatever I believe becomes my reality. So, hey, how is church? When did church life become a building? <laughs> Point to the person beside you and say, you are the church. Seriously, do it. You're the church. Okay, so this building's not the church. Today I'm going to pop a balloon that takes delivery and doesn't call it evil. It just places delivery underneath a bigger concept, a bigger truth called development. What is development? Matthew 28. Let's go there on the screen. Matthew 28, 19. The last thing Jesus said basically before he was resurrected to his followers, his disciples, go and make what? Greek words, mathetis. What does it mean? It means learner, means pupil. Go and make mathetis. Everybody say mathetis with me. It basically what Jesus is saying here. Christianity is called the way. Go and raise up some other people that aren't connected to the king's table as well as you are and raise them up and develop them. What if when you got to heaven, what if the question the Father asked you before you walked in, you know, you hear all that silly question all the time, what's St. Peter gonna say to you as though he's like the gatekeeper or whatever? What if the Father said, hey, why should I let you into heaven? Being facetious here, a bit hypothetical. What if his question that we only got into heaven by the obedience to us fulfilling this command? What if the only way you ever got into heaven <laughs> was if you took his command seriously. We say, well, that will never be the case. And of course, we only get into heaven because of Jesus Christ and heaven only gets into us because of Jesus. But the reason Jesus gets heaven into us is not so that we can enjoy it by ourselves. Only an American would think that thought. Americans interpret the scriptures through an individualistic mindset. God says in, to Abram in Genesis 12, I'm gonna bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Why? So you can be a blessing to the nations. I'm gonna make a nation out of you. Multiplication starts in the garden. Adam developed the garden, plant seed. Adam invested in his own wife. It starts multiplying, mentoring, development, relational living, helping someone get to a higher place in God didn't start with Jesus. It started with Adam. We are born to raise up other people. But there's been a lie in the church that says, well, I'm not competent enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't know enough. What if you could raise someone up by simply helping a young mom learn how to raise her child better? What if your biggest gift is that you just know how to raise children? What if you invited three or four young moms into your life and showed them practically how to do it? There's a guy named Shamgar in the Old Testament, Judges 3, chapter 3. I think Judges 3, 33. It says, Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goat. That's one bad mamma jamma. Ox goat's about this big. That sucker took out 600 Philistines. I just picture like the Matrix. Come at me, bro. Come on, come at me. Not a gun, an ox goat. What if you just took what's in your hand and gave it to God and did the best you could with it? But we don't want to do that because in America, we go to church, I walk with God, I do my nine-minute quiet time for the month, and I journal one thing that hasn't come to pass yet. I'm so excited to be in God. I'm so excited. Oh, I'll tell you, being a Christian is amazing. It's, oh. And then we go sit in another church service that we don't enjoy. You know it's okay to have fun in here? Especially when you tithe big, I'm telling you, there's nothing more fun in the world. Little boy said, I don't know what to do. Jesus said, here, give me that. Here's bread and here's fish. He took what was in his hand and gave it to the king and then the king did a lot with it. 
Discipleship is me inviting someone into my life saying, listen, I'm in process more than you, but I'm gonna pull a sham guard with you by not killing you. I'm just gonna take what's in my hand. Uh, I play golf and I'm gonna meet some people at Holly Tree Golf Club. We're gonna start playing golf together. And if I can help you get connected to the King's Table more than you currently are, I'll call that discipleship. Discipleship's not a curriculum. It's not a plan. It's not another person's book you memorize. Do you know the Romans Road? Okay, we gotta start this way at the golf course. Hello, Blake. Let's talk differently during a discipleship class than we do in real life. No, for some of you, you like to watch college football. I watched it last night until 1.30 in the morning and, was, and wasn't tired. What if you invited about four or five other people into your house to watch football with you? And you didn't say, hey, during timeouts, let's just recite Ephesians together. You do that at my house during Georgia game, you're gonna get hit right in your face. That's you know. And what if you took a period of time that they were getting more connected to you and they realized there was something on you that's not on them and then you took them to the scriptures after a period of time. Then you started raising them up. We've called discipleship, memorize the book of Acts and teach it to someone and make yourself feel very smart and make them feel very low. Okay, I'm gonna make this so simple. You have to hire a lawyer, 10 lawyers to help you misunderstand this one. You are created and you are wired to make disciples, not come and glean from the great man of God or the great woman of God. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and just get another hit just so you can make it through a week. What if Bridgeway became a place that when we got in here, what was happening in our homes by us relationally investing in other people, we just came here to celebrate what was God, God was doing. You say, well, I'm just, I don't know, I'm introverted. I don't, no, I don't know what to do. Well, this isn't a program I'm pushing. I didn't, I didn't write a book on this. This is Matthew 28. It didn't say if you're extroverted and live in the South, love to eat. It said, go and make Methetus. Well, Jesus had only 12. No, he didn't. He had, he had 70 he sent out in two by twos. Then in John 6, 70 to 80, it says many disciples deserted him. I'm gonna make this real simple. Jesus didn't live on an island. He didn't enjoy his intimacy with God all by himself. And go to the beach and journal in a Starbucks journal and then Instagram his amazing time with God. You were never intended by God to live by yourself with him. It's not normal. It's not normal to close your blinds, lock your doors and go have your God time all the time. A lot of people who think they're growing in God are actually just hurt from past experiences and relationships. They're too scared to jump into new relationships. So we self-protect and put the label on it. I'm just spending, God just wants some me time right now. I mean, that does happen, but it's, it's the exception more than the norm. Biblically speaking, that's not a prophetic word. What's the first thing Jesus Christ does before he begins his ministry? He spends all night praying. Why? To get wisdom on the 12 to pick. What's the first thing Jesus does? He surrounds himself with family, extended family. Where did Saul go to attack the church before he got converted? He didn't go to the temple. He went into the oikos, the extended family. He goes into the Arabian desert by himself for three years, comes out of the Arabian desert. He doesn't spend any time alone anymore. He surrounds himself with his own disciples. Where does he go to spread the message of the gospel? He doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't come to the big church. He went into the homes, into the homes, into the homes, into the homes. These passages about exercising spiritual gifts, they would not have been thinking a group this large. They were in the homes. To the church in Ephesus, 
to the church in Corinth. Where were these churches meeting? Where were they? In the homes. If my Christianity does not make it into my home where I'm breaking bread with other believers and getting them more connected to the king's table, call it something, just don't call it Christianity. We have created a model of Christianity that is like God saying, I'm not eating your almond flour. I'm not going to do it. Because what my father cooks is delicious. And what he considers delicious is you come, you gather together, just like they went seven times a year in Jerusalem. We celebrate, we go crazy, and then you scatter. Where do you scatter? Into the homes where you are becoming a spiritual father and mother to someone else and you're raising them up. And guess what? It starts at a young age. I'm seeing my son right now do it downstairs. You make a disciple at age 13. You don't need a program. You don't need someone to say, well, here's 11 steps to make a disciple. You need to say, Father, I take Matthew 28 seriously. Please forgive me for locking my blinds down, never sitting on my front porch, getting in my backyard where I never have to see anyone. You know who's the worst at this? Pastors. Well, I just need to self-protect myself. No, we need to make disciples. My wife and I are going to San Francisco tomorrow, leaving at 6.08 a.m. I've already prayed the flight would be delayed four hours. I really have. Why are we going to San Francisco? Because I'm discipling a man named Sean Curtis. He has a wife named Carrie. He's a senior pastor of a church in downtown San Francisco. For two years, I've been walking with Sean. I first laid eyes on him in Georgetown, South Carolina two years ago. I looked at him. He thought I was crazy. I said, I don't know you, but the father says, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. I'm supposed to heavily invest in you. In two years, what's happened? Well, we just kind of hang out and build community. I'm not talking about community. I'm talking about one person leading another person to a deeper level in the father's table. Maybe the reason we're not making disciples is so many of us are in Lodibar and we can't make disciples when we got so much orphanhood in us. So there's two questions I got to ask. Am I moving towards the king's table and who am I helping move there with me? There's four things I need in my life. I need someone mentoring me. Bobby Clinton says this in his research. Someone mentoring me. I need to be mentoring someone. I need someone to sharpen me inside the sphere of my own influence and someone to sharpen me outside the sphere of my own influence. There's never been a self-made woman or a self-made man. Jesus discipled Peter to greatness. He didn't anoint him and pray for him. The charismatic world has become about go to a conference and get prayed for. We don't need to be anointed. We need to be discipled. We need to this slow growth of seed germinating in me where you take someone so entrenched in Lodibar and because of my own life, because I used to be there, I just say, come on, keep following me. And at some point, that person is ready to go change the world. That's what Jesus did. He invested in 12 people and the movement is still moving. He didn't just have a healing ministry. Come pay your tithes and let Yeshua of Nazareth heal you. He kept backing up. Don't tell anyone I healed you. Don't tell anyone. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Nathaniel, y'all come on with me. Come on. And in three years, he only did 18 months of public ministry. What is he doing the other 18 months? Discipling. People say all the time, how do I know if I'm a Christian? You know what I've started to say lately? Um, What disciples are you making? That goes over like a lead balloon. Well, I'm just, I'm just not in a place where, I'm just not in a place where I can decide. This is why Paul would say, quit drinking milk. There's a church from heaven to the church in the West. There's a message from heaven to the church in the West. And this is what the Father's saying. I am changing the game, America. You can write this down. I'm telling you, the next 30 years, you're going to see this. I am changing the game, America. 
I'm changing the game. You will see these large churches be, begin out of the sovereignty of God to massively shift or disappear. He's getting this thing into the homes. And it's not a new idea. It's an old idea. Holy Spirit told me to go to Azusa and lick the ground and come back and spit here three times. You guys know I did that. Now he's told me to go to Gettysburg. When I go to Gettysburg in a few weeks, he's told me to stand on the spot where Lincoln spoke. And I was like, why are you asking me to do this? And, and he showed me. I read a book on Gettysburg. He said, because I'm going to use you in your sphere of influence. All, all Lincoln did at the Gettysburg Address was to remind him of what the Declaration of Independence already said. Lincoln didn't give any new ideas. It was a 268-word speech that was so simple, they booed him. And they said, all these men died because they fought for what's already in our Declaration of Independence. The book of Acts is clear on this. We come, we gather, we celebrate, we scatter into the homes, we break bread together. We're all supposed to be playing. Since when did church become about you sitting on a back road, not knowing anyone, locking your door, just self-protecting? Family is messy. Relationships are messy. But we are called to invest in each other's lives. So many people are looking for a God encounter. Your God encounter is the person right beside you because they have something for you. You are someone's literal miracle. You are someone's breakthrough. You, not your prayers, your life, your life, the way you hug your wife, the way, the way you hug your kids, the way you listen to people when they, when they talk to you. Someone else watches and says, I want that. The reason we're not making disciples is we're trying to talk people into going to a king's table that we're not currently seated at. When we sit at the king's table, people say, please show me how you walk in this stuff. People ask me all the time, how do you, how do you walk in healing? We saw someone touched by God this morning. We prayed for him. I don't have six steps. God's my best friend. I pray for people and he helps them. Let me show you about how to be friends with God. Discipleship was never supposed to be going to a classroom and just see how brilliant I am. It's supposed to be led through the fivefold. That's one of the balloons. Instead, we've taken the position of teacher, putting him or her in front of the church, and we all just marvel at that teacher's ability to teach. We're not all called to teach, but all of us are called to make disciples. The church has to be redefined. We have to redefine what normal is. If Christianity is not in my home, I don't need to call myself Christian. The message of discipleship is I'm a Christian 24 hours a day. And I want to call some people into my life the way Jesus did Peter, James, and John. Why are we going to be so passionate about a Jesus that we're not willing to imitate? Jesus is not calling me to believe in him. He's calling me to follow him. He's calling me to imitate him. The world is longing not for another slick message and an exegetical breakdown of, oh, you're brilliant, pastor. It's longing for a group of people to say, you know what? I don't have this whole thing figured out. And there's some things in my life that you might not want to imitate, but I'll tell you what, I'm going after it with all my heart. You want to join me for a season? It takes courage though. We've made this thing way too easy. Check in, check out, check in, check out. The cost of discipleship is hard. It's hard. I don't want a Christianity that's easy. It's a joke. It's not worth anything. You live like the devil, but you made a decision 30 years ago. You believe in Jesus. You're, you're great. Seriously? This thing's supposed to be messy. This thing's not supposed to be easy. We're supposed. Think about this. Why did God ordain man to be married to woman? Seed and conception in this child comes into the world. You don't know what you're doing. If you ever hear a young mom say, oh yeah, I got this covered. You need to run and duck. 
And if you think she's that way, talk to Home Slice's husband. I promise you that. I remember looking at Sam going, I don't, I don't know what to do. But you know what? You figure it out. You turn around, the dude's 13, he almost beats you at golf, and you look at him, and you're like, you look like me, you sound like me, you act like me. This isn't trigonometry. The world's not full of more Christ-like Christians, not because the messages aren't being spoken, because the lives are not being lived that are able to be imitated. I, I, have, I don't think I've ever said this, but I'm, before I faint, and I could faint, it's so hot. But... <laughs> Like, honestly, I feel like I need to embrace you when this is over. I have not been this hot since Peru. And I, all right, give me a second. Thank you, Father. Where was I? Hmm. Yep, and now I can't remember what I was going to say. Thank you. Always helps to hear God. Always. You know you hear God better when you're broken and you realize you don't know much? <laughs> don't ever listen to someone teaching the prophetic. It's got it all figured out. Just run. Take off running. Here's what I'm saying. When you get to heaven, have you ever thought about what your banquet will be in heaven? I've never said that God, there's party. There's going to be a party that's going to be thrown for all of us when we get there. Celebration. Let's say you lead 500 people or 5 million people from a stage and you're a phenomenal orator. Let's say you write, a, you write the books that make the whole world sing. You're like the Jesus Barry Manilow of books. Let's say you blog and you're amazing. Let's just say that you are a prolific leader and the masses follow you. There is something that the Father, I'm, I, I'm hearing this now, there's something that the Father has a value on higher than that. You'd be better off going a lifetime and making two true disciples in your life than seeming successful in the world's eyes. The recipe that the Father has is not about delivery. Oh, it's just amazing. Let's just go hear that other concert. Let's go hear that other sermon. We don't need any more sermons, we need more disciples. My heavens, we got enough sermons to listen to till Jesus comes back. Where are the disciples? Where are those willing to get off stages and say, hey, why don't you come into my life, imitate me for a while and see what happens? May we not just be a place of delivery. May we be willing to do what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 28. When's the last time you brought someone into your home that you took someone to lunch, that you hung out with, not to convince them how competent you were and how brilliant you were, just to listen to them and guide them into the greater way of the king's table? Am I growing towards that table? Am I helping someone else get there? Uh, I don't know the scriptures enough. You know enough. By the way, a lot of people who quote scriptures can quote them, but don't live them. I want to live the scriptures. I want someone to be around me and just say, that guy's naturally supernatural. That guy loves his wife. That guy's a train wreck sometimes, but I'll tell you what, he's just, that guy's going after God with his whole heart. You want to hang out with giant killers. Evaluate how he or she lives his or her life. We've complicated this thing. Here's, man, I'll say this to myself. One of the biggest challenges we have to overcome is I have to ask myself, do I have a life worth imitating? 
it's easier to pay a big tithe check and come worship gregariously, but disappear into anonymity and not have a life worth imitating than it is to say, hey, my name's Chad. This is going to feel more like an AA meeting than a church service because I'm in process myself. But I tell you, there's fruit on my tree. So let's go. Let's roll. So let us never become anything other than obedient. Someone asked me last week, how long will you pastor Bridgewater? I have no idea. Nor do I care. Because the only goal of my life is obedience. There's some things you don't need a prophetic word on obedience. You need to read the word. And in Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples. Stop making excuses and do it. I saw you jump down there. I'm not going to ask prayer service to come forward today. I'm going to ask to stand up, and I'm going to send this out with a go blessing. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, may you go into whatever your Samaria is, whatever your Judea is, and just do what he's already told us to do. And don't make an excuse why you're not in Jesus' name. Amen.